Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. All right. Hello, Las Vegas. Happy Thursday, one and all. We have a, just a great episode, I think, planned for you today. A little bit different. I'm Crystal Heath. You're listening to The Frittle Show on KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. So it's it's Thursday of Passion Week, if you will. Um, for those of us who... Okay. I don't, I'm, I'm just going to dive right in here. Okay, so for today's program, I'm not doing politics today. I know that's what most of you live for, is for me to analyze world events on your Thursday mornings. But today, we, <laughs> we are not going to do that. And the reason that we're not going to do that is because I had the opportunity uh, today to speak with one of my good friends, one of my favorite Bible teachers, um, Pastor George DeYoung, who's from Holland, Michigan, who runs uh, Under the Fig Tree Ministries, which is a group that I've traveled to Israel with in the past, and I'll be going with again, God willing, later this summer. But I had the opportunity to talk with George uh, on this program about Passover. And so rather than like talking about politics and then transitioning to Passover and then coming back to politics or something like that, I thought, you know what, let's just have an episode where we talk about um, Passover and what Passover is. And I'm not... Um, I'm, I'm only going to provide you with what I think as far as some of the Passover timetable. Uh, when George is on, uh, he might get a little more in-depth with the teaching and the preaching um, and, and that aspect of this. But I just wanted to give you kind of an, an overview because I don't know about you, but uh, for a lot of my uh, early Christian life in particular, it just didn't make sense to me. Like, I understand the story uh, of Jesus. I understand man, the redemption of mankind. I understand, you know, Jesus as our Passover lamb, or at least I thought that I did. There's so many different intricacies to Passover and what was going on. And as Western Christians, many of us who have never celebrated or even seen a celebration of an actual Passover, there's, a, there's, there's some disconnect, I think, as to, you know, what may have been happening uh, at Passover, how that related to what was going on in the Last Supper, does it relate to us today, what was going on with Jesus coming into Jerusalem, different things like this. So I just want to give you a couple things that have helped me uh, over the years. There are different very godly people with different uh, explanations as to how the timeline of Passion Week unfolded. I am not here to say that any of them are wrong. I am him simply here to say this is what I believe uh, is how Passion Week transpired because I don't know, this just, I, I like to read my Bible as a 10-year-old. I know that's, in our culture today, might seem weird to some people, but I did. I just enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed reading uh, my Bible. I had a really cool teal uh, Bible, and it was just, it was a cool color, and I liked reading it. Um, I even built myself before I knew how to build things. I built a little desk out of scrap woods woods scrap pieces of wood that we had uh in behind the shed where my dad kept scrap wood and it was terrible and I'm sure someone probably could have gotten tetanus from it um I actually don't even know if my parents even knew that I built it because it <laughs> it wasn't really a desk it was more like a platform and it was barely off of the ground but it was just high enough that I could slide my bible and a couple of notebooks underneath it and then pull it out when I wanted to do devotions and then I had a little oil lamp so I would get up early in the morning literally while it was still dark outside and nobody was awake at my house and I would turn on my little oil lamp and feel just very cool sitting there with my little desk and my little oil lamp doing my devotions this was young crystal now you have a picture of my life back then I feel that God is still blessing me today and I'm I laugh, but I'm also very serious. I believe that God is blessing me today for decisions that I made in my childhood. No joke, because when I look back at decisions that I made when I was younger, I'm just like, I can't, I don't even, anyway, let's move on. We don't need to talk about young Crystal anymore. So, um, where was I going with that? Oh, 
Because, like, when I was 10, I would read a Bible and it would say, you know, Jesus is in the grave three days and three nights. Like, as Jonah was in the whale, three days and three nights. And I'd be like, but we say that Jesus died on Friday night and he rose Sunday morning. That's not three days and three nights. I don't care how you count it. By the Gregorian calendar, by a Hebrew calendar, by an American calendar or a Chinese whatever kind of calendar. Pick your calendar. There's no way you can get three days and three nights between Friday night and Sunday morning. It just doesn't happen. You can't get both. You can't get three days and three nights. And so as I got older, I would study these things out and try to figure out what was going on. And the so I just want to give you a little bit of an outline of how I believe Passion Week unfolded, okay? I don't believe that Jesus died on Friday. Personally, I believe that Jesus died on Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. I'll explain to you why. All right? Um... So this is the, this is the, um, so Passover is celebrated in the Hebrew month of Nisan, okay, which is, yes, very similar to the car. All right, so here's, here's how I believe this thing happened. On the 10th of Nisan, which I believe would have been four days before the Passover would have been eaten, Jesus came into Jerusalem, all right, on that day. Now, that day, the 10th, which would have been a Saturday, would have carried over into the 11th, which would have been Sunday, but I'm not going to get into that right now. Um, I believe that Jesus would have come into Jerusalem on that day. That is the day, the 10th of Nisan, when a lamb would be chosen for the Passover. So a family goes, they select their Passover lamb, and then for the following four days, they would observe the lamb to make sure that it didn't have any blemishes, that it was a lamb that was worthy. Isn't it interesting that Jesus comes into Jerusalem on the days when the families are all choosing their lambs for Passover. And then he's in Jerusalem for four days. As families are observing the lambs to make sure that they're a perfect sacrifice. Jesus is in Jerusalem. Jesus is being observed. I believe that Jesus ate the Last Supper uh, on Tuesday evening. Why do I think that? Because I believe that the Passover itself happened in the evening of the 14th slash 15th of Nisan. So uh, remember, in a Hebrew calendar, it's night and day that make a day. So when you say you're going to eat the Passover on the 15th of Nisan, you're actually eating that on what would we in an English calendar would be the evening of the 14th. That would start the 15th of Nisan. So it wouldn't be that night that Passover would be eaten because that would be the 16th of Nisan. So it would have to be eaten uh, at the beginning of the day if you will, or what we would consider the 14th in the evening. Now, the and, and the thing is, we say, well, how could he have eaten Passover then? Well, it's kind of like how, um, you know, you might celebrate Christmas or Easter with your family, not on that actual day of Christmas, because everyone couldn't get together then. I believe that Jesus knew what was coming, obviously, and he told his disciples what was coming, and so he chose to celebrate Passover a day early with his disciples. That's what I personally believe. Again, there are so many different explanations for this, but so uh, this is what I see is happening. The 10th through the 14th, uh, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, 10th of Nisan. He's observed through the 14th of Nisan. On the 14th of Nisan, that is when families would slay their lambs at twilight. Twilight would be from 3 to 6 p.m. I believe that Jesus died in that window between 3 and 6 p.m. The Passover would be eaten then after it is slain, obviously, in the evening of the 15th, which would be, again, for us, the night of the 14th. If Jesus dies on what we would consider Wednesday night of the 14th, but what would technically be the 15th, then that gives you night and day of Thursday, night and day of Friday, night and day of Saturday, and boom, Jesus rises on Sunday. That gives you three days and three nights. It also works with the actual Passover timeline. Okay, so the 15th would be considered a high Sabbath. So different Jewish feasts would be considered, uh, if they're not falling on a Sabbath day, it would be called a high Sabbath because it's not an actual Sabbath, but it's a day that we observe like the Sabbath. Passover would be one of those days. That's how Mary... If you look at different Gospels, Mary in one Gospel is is buying herbs and spices uh, after the Sabbath, and in another she's buying them before the Sabbath. Well, how can she buy them before and after? How can that be? Because if Thursday, the 15th of Nisan, is a high Sabbath, then you have Friday, then you have Saturday, which is the actual Sabbath. So it would be 
after the Sabbath, the high Sabbath of Passover, but also before the Sabbath, which would happen on Saturday. So you have Jesus in the grave three days and three nights. Uh, then first fruits happens on Sunday, the 18th of Easter. First fruits happens. And what happens on Sunday, the 18th of Nisan? Jesus rises from the dead, the first fruits among many brethren. And Mary comes to this tomb. The tomb is empty. We have a grand celebration. Easter happens. That, my friends, is how I believe the week of Easter would have transpired, or the Passion Week would have transpired, on a on a calendar basis. All right, and I'll post a I'll post a picture of a, a great diagram. Uh, one of my friends, well, many of you wouldn't know him, Yen Lemison, made this diagram, and I think it just outlines perfectly, and it's so easy to follow. I'll post it on my Twitter here after the program, so you can go and look at it. But I think it's just. Um, it's so, so helpful in explaining what was going on and how this can actually work. And I, I just, I, I love this. But I think we're still missing something. And what we're missing, and this is why I asked uh, my friend George to come on the program, is that as Christians, we look at the Last Supper, but like I said, many of us have never even experienced a Passover, so I think we're missing out on a lot of the symbolism. And that's what George is going to be on the program. He's going to talk with us just about a little bit of it because there's so much happening uh, in uh, in these... in these. Um, sorry, I just got distracted. A tab that I had open has closed tab that I had open. There's so much symbolism in what's happening around the Passover. So George is going to come and talk with us about that. But before he gets here to kind of lay the groundwork for us, we're going to read Exodus 12 because we're going to talk about many of these things with George. And I want you to have a good handle on what's going on. So at this point, there's been uh, there's been nine plagues. The 10th plague is coming. God is explaining to Moses and Aaron how they will celebrate the Passover. And God says to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, he says, quote, from Exodus 12, starting in verse chapter two, it says this month, the month of Nisan shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb. Again, what day would Jesus have come into Jerusalem? I believe the tenth of Nisan. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for a lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole congregation of the assembly of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorposts of the house wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. So again, the Passover is dying on the 14th and being eaten on the 15th that night, because night and day uh, makes a day, not day and night. Um... So or, or sunset, I guess, would be a better way for us to put that. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden it all with water, but roast it with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away the leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be a holy convocation, or what you might call a high Sabbath. And in the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe it, this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. 
And then it goes on to talk about the a little more about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which happens uh, immediately. Passover launches that feast, essentially. Uh, then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take to you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when you become to the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, that you shall keep this service. And when your children shall say unto you, What mean you by this service? That you will say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne until the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. Go, serve the Lord as you have said." And then, of course, we have uh, the children of of Israel leaving Egypt and the whole Exodus account happens from there. We're going to look at this a little more in depth and get just a couple nuggets of incredible truth when Pastor George DeYoung joins us in just a few minutes. When we return, don't go away. You're listening to KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. And welcome back. You're listening to The Frittle Show on KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Today, we have one of my very good friends, the founder and president, CEO. I don't know what his title is, actually, but he runs under the Fig Tree Ministries. George, whose last name I always say wrong, DeYoung, DeJoung, something. It's something like that, right? Yeah. And thank you for all the titles. Thank you for all the titles. You're welcome. Most The most important <laughs> one is that you're my friend, but... Yeah, that's it. That's, that's true. Right there, Crystal. I got to I got to throw this in here because our listeners will appreciate this about you. Before we uh, before we started on the air here, we were discussing hockey very briefly, and Vegas has become a crazy hockey town, which is just weird because we're in the desert, but it's okay because we love the nights. But um, you were just mentioning that hockey is going to you know be a part of our eternity, which I've never <laughs> actually heard before. Um, so I no. wondered if you could just expound on that for a second before we get started. Well, I, I, I don't know, but um, I, I don't know if I want to touch on that. But coming from Canada and being an old man in my early to mid sixties, uh, still playing men's league, um, it's kind of it's kind of fun and the camaraderie in the locker room and getting out on the pond, uh, tossing around the biscuit, and uh, it it it's quite something. So. Um, it's hard for me not to think that 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 kind of phenomenon won't be replicated in the world to come. But we'll see what God gives. If mm. it's not hockey, it's going to be a whole lot better. But listen, uh, I'm also a pastor for your Golden Knights fans. I just want to start by pastoral care for y'all. Um, I let you know that my Toronto Maple Leafs stand in the way of your Golden Knights getting the Stanley Cup. Now, that is a ways away yet, but I, I think that needs to be fixed. I, oh, it may not be a problem. I mean... I feel like you just said something like tossing around the biscuit, which I have no idea. Um. Oh, <laughs> well, if, 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 um, if, if Las Vegas has become uh, a, a hockey town, they'll understand what that is. They'll um, understand? By okay. the way, for, for your lay people, it, that's the puck. That's, that's the puck. That's okay. The puck. Well, I was so. just imagining this in a heavenly sense, and I was thinking that it would be difficult, I feel, if we don't have biscuits, if we have manna. Will it be tossing around the manna? I don't know what's going to happen. And then I was just all everywhere in my head while you were talking about some maple leaves, you know which don't this, matter. This but. is this is a great way to segue out of the, out of the silliness, uh, because you know what manna means. Manna means what is it? What is it? So for 40 yeah. years, yeah, 40, so 40 years they're, in the, they're in the wilderness saying, you go whatever it is, go get whatever it is. We got a to get whatever it is. Yes. For 40 years. 
Yes. Didn't know what it was, and and you know, I, I think I talked to you about this before. But if you can't name it, then you're not responsible for it. And that's why the text says, "Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God." Yeah. And so uh, God's responsible for the provision of everything. So, so anyhow, I don't know how we got to that. I, but you had some questions for me. How yeah, I, I did. So before before the manna, before the wandering in the desert. Israel is in Egypt, and you know we have the the great story of the escape from Egypt, if you will, which culminates in Passover. And uh, Passover is coming up this week, and I thought, who better to have on to talk about Passover than someone that some of our our church members are going to be going with uh, on a trip to Israel and Egypt later this uh, this summer. Um, so I thought, let's have George on, and we'll talk about Passover because. You talk about these things. You're like an Old Testament scholar. We can add that to your titles. And Thank you. like speaking Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek and probably Minnesotan. I don't yeah. I don't know what other languages there are <laughs> that you speak. But um so let's let's talk about Passover because that's what we actually had you on to talk about. So let's let's back it up and start with Israel mm-hmm. is enslaved in Egypt, they're in bondage. What does that look like? How do we end up with plagues? Like, why wasn't God just like, hey, you know what, Moses, just just say bye and just walk out, and it'll be fine, and I'll deal with everything. You can just you can just leave. Hmm. See, and I think you know, um, um, and that what you're asking, or where I think I ought to begin, is a very fundamental, very fundamental starting point, and um, and that is the um, the purpose, in my opinion, of writing the Bible. Hmm. written for the original audience to determine if God existed. Uh, we, we talk about that, and uh, we have philosophy classes, and you know, does God exist? Um, in the ancient period, it was without question that the ancients understood that the gods existed. The question that they struggled with is, which God do you serve? Hmm. And then the answer to that is, serve the one who has earned it. Serve him no more, or serve him no less. Well, as we receive text, um, um, God has earned my followership by giving his only begotten Son. And as I have seasoned and matured in the faith, that has become more and more precious to me. But the Bible doesn't end with that story. It begins with the story of the Exodus, which, in my opinion, is a canvas on which the salvation picture is painted. Um, it, it, it formed Jesus' Bible. It, did, it inspired the story of Exodus, inspired Jesus, and I think it shaped his ministry as well. So, as you know, um, and we all know, I think, that you know, the children of Israel had been in Egyptian captivity uh, for a while before the United States was in the center. Yeah. And, um, uh, and it, the time came. The time came for when God was going to call his people out. Um, he called up Moses, and, um, and the, Moses comes and appears before Pharaoh and declares, and it's interesting because the text tells us that God, made, uh, God said to Moses, he will be like God before Pharaoh, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd love to talk about that sometime with you, too, tease that out a little bit. But Moses, on God's behalf, says, let my people go. Now, in this story, yeah, um, you can see that a number of places in terms we tend to look at the, the conflict, the competition, as it were, between God, between Moses and Pharaoh. Rises yeah. An actual fact is the incarnation and flashes into the holy place where he sees a conflict of three other deities on his face at the same all right, but you got to pause for just a second because I I've been there, I've seen this, I know what you're talking about, but you just you just said like three things that some people's minds I can just hear it right now are just going wait what what they're just exploding. You said that, you said that he's a deity and that the sun is going into the holy of holies and people are going wait there's no what are you talking about how can that be so just just give us a little bit of clarification on that one. Well. I don't know how long your radio program is. Oh, it's, if I have to go to that, that's going to be too I, much. I run just, the radio station. It can be as long as I want. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, don't, that, 
I'm sorry. Okay. Just um, a, I know it's very. Uh, I know it's it's more drawn out than we can explain to people right now. And really, that's why they should go with you to Israel and Egypt. They can visit yes. underthefigtree.org for more information about how they yes. can do that. But just give us a little a little something so that people don't think we're talking okay. total blasphemy here. Because you just said that Ramses okay. was in the Holy of Holies, and I feel like that's not going to go over well. No, no. Uh, I, 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 okay. So, <laughs> so, um, so in in the in Egyptian temples were divided into three parts. They were divided into a peristyle hall. That was the court of the nobles. That's where they could go. That's where the altar would be. Then there was the peristyle hall. That was the covered area. That was called often called the feast court. And then there's something called the vestibule, which uh, and that's their deepest shrine. Um, it's their most sacred place. Um, and uh, it's their holy place. And there in Abu Simbal are seated in, in, the, in, the, in the place of authority, in that holy place, in that vestibule, are four statues, seated statues. And one of them, uh, the four of the, uh, three of the others are deities, and the fourth one is Rams. And uh, on the day of the birthday, the day of his coronation for some, he shines right into that temple. It's been designed in such a way that on the day of his birth, it shines into the temple to the peristyle hall, or the people's court, mm-hmm. through the priest court, the hypostyle hall, or uh, uh, the hypostyle hall, into the vestibule, that holy shrine on the inside, right on Ramsey's face, twice a year. It's yeah. birth and it's coronation. And it, it, it's clearly, clearly a, a declaration in picture form that Pharaoh is a deity. So when it comes to the plague, and when it comes to God releasing his people, um, he, he, he is warring with the gods. He is warring, and Pharaoh is, is the culmination of those gods, as it were. It's like Pharaoh has all these gods at his back. And, and then, so for God to come, um, and he's going to, uh, has to, he wants to re- release his people he wants to raise them in such a way that he's also introducing himself to them. Mm. Because one of the questions Moses asked on the mountain is, who, did, who shall I face him? And God says, Eye, Asher, Eye. I, I was what I was, I am what I am, I will be what I will be. I tell them that I am. And, and so, so the people, though they have this idea of the covenant of circumcision, uh, they have this idea of their patriarch Abraham, they have an identity as Hebrews, but and they understand that El Shaddai, the God Almighty, brought them out. But it, apparently, according to the text, God is introducing Himself to His people on a more deeper and personal level, and He's going to demonstrate that He is an all-powerful. He's going to earn their followership, their followership out of Egypt. And he's going to do that by telling Pharaoh, "Let my people go," which is an affront to Pharaoh because Pharaoh says, "Oh, they're my people." And then you have the Ten Plagues. And what's interesting um, is with the Ten Plagues, there are a number of deities associated with each of the plagues. Well, and, and we can talk about that another time, but for now, to get to <laughs> Passover, we, we, have come, we have come to that point where we have the Ninth Plague, mm-hmm. and it's darkness. Mm-hmm. And, and um, the, the, the Plague of Darkness is over, and Pharaoh leaves uses to let the people go. So now, now God goes to his children Moses and he confronts the people because this is the first time out of all the plagues that the people participate in the plague. Mm-hmm. Otherwise they've been bystanders, they've been observers. Um, and everything that happened to Egypt didn't happen to them, which is a huge deal. But now God says, tell the people to get a lamb, uh, befriend it for several days, um, which has become Lamb Selection Day. We find it for several days. I'm telling you, Crystal, you've been with me over there. Um, uh, I, 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 I tell you, um, I'm, I'm on a personal journey to for pastors to stop saying that sheep are stupid. They are not stupid. They are created exactly the way God wanted them to be. Mm. They need a shepherd. Yeah. And sheep, I, I, there are a few other animals that when they're born are more trusting and really, babies are just the same way. They're trusting. Yeah. And, and anyhow, so that but this lamb is, is shared by the family, and then the lamb, after several days, the lamb's throat is cut, and, and, and it is roasted, 
And of course, you know that the body is put on the doorpost. Well, God says in, in Exodus 12, He says, the whole purpose of the Passover is so that when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean? Then you can tell them it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And then the text goes on and it says in Exodus 12, then the people bowed down and worshipped the Israelites. They did just what the Lord commanded, Moses and Aaron. And at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, to the firstborn of livestock as well. And Pharaoh and all of his officials and all of the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wail in Egypt, for there was not a house with someone without someone dead. And that's 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 the Passover, and and that's the climax of the thing. You, you see, um, uh, the, the the whole purpose of, of of the plague was God demonstrating who really is large and who's really in charge. And for 400 years, the people had been living in Egypt, over 400 years. And Pharaoh was a supreme being. And, and, and I, again, uh, in my opinion, uh, the Bible was not written to prove that God exists. In the ancient period, the original audience that received the text didn't ask those questions. They, they, I mean, you all have to go is, is, is go to Rome and see some of these pagan temples, or go to yeah. Greece and look at the Acropolis, or come with sure. me. Um, and I mean, the, the evidence that these were deeply spiritual people worshiping a variety of gods. The question is, which god do you serve? Mm-hmm. And in the in the defeat of all of these um, gods, then God is de- demonstrating Himself as uh, Lord of Lords and God of Gods. And and so that's the backdrop to the Passover. Now, when you talked to me before, you said, George, how, how does Christ connect to the Passover? And yeah, so we, we fast forward a couple yeah. thousand years, and then you have Jesus, and we always talk about, you know, I, I feel as as Christians many times, we don't really think about the Passover aspect of Passover. Yeah. We think about the Last Supper, and that kind of is our image of Passover. We don't even, I mean, there, there's so much, oh, it's, it's so good. You know, we could talk about Jesus coming into Jerusalem and about how the, the selection yeah. of the lamb and how the lamb is observed for four days and how Jesus comes in. And when he comes into yeah. Jerusalem and the timing and all of that, there's just so much rich symbolism. But I know you don't have all day as much as I would love to spend all day talking to you. But um, so, yes. Yeah, so, but yes, let's let's fast forward if we can. Uh, the Israelites yeah. now, granted, we have we see throughout the prophets and different things where Israel steps away and doesn't isn't practicing the different feasts and things. But by the time Jesus lands on Earth, if you want to use the word land, um, that would be a yeah. little difficult for Mary, I guess, if Jesus doesn't. But anyway, um, the uh, Passover is being celebrated again. We have, you know, Herod's temple. Everything is in swing. Jesus would be celebrating these feasts. He's going to celebrate the Passover. We're all familiar with this story. He says, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna celebrate the Passover. Go get me, uh, go get ready." And then we have the Last Supper. So tell us what's happening there. Um, up to you whether you want to get into what days we're talking about and. I'm going to let you just run with this, <laughs> wherever wherever okay. you want to go. Well, the reason why Passover is such a big deal, um, and it, it is, I mean, it, it is one of those climactic points, if not arguably part of the climactic point um, of the Gospels and of the entire biblical narrative. I mean, it, it's the focal point. I mean, it, the Passover is just part of the cross. Yeah. Um, and 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 so. You know, what, what's interesting to me, although it happens after the upper room thing, I'll, I'll get back to the upper room. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me is that um, you have on the cross, you have this phenomenon um, where it's dark um, yeah. from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. Yeah. And there's total darkness. Now, some people say it's an eclipse of the sun. It could be. I, I don't know. I don't know how to accomplish that. But certainly God wants us to see that. And then after the darkness, Jesus gives up his spirit. Mm-hmm. And that, in my opinion, if you have the eyes to see, is a direct connection to the plague narrative yes. and, the, and the Passover. Um, because the night light, as I mentioned to you earlier, was, was dark. Darkness. Hence, plague was the death of the first soul. Mm-hmm. And the entire, the entire biblical narrative, um, the, the, the Levites, we're all considered to be the firstborn, and you and the firstborn of a family belong to God. All the firstborn belong to God. Now, 
God, unlike Baal, doesn't want you to kill your firstborn. We redeem them. And that's what Mary and Joseph were doing with the two turtle doves. They were going to redeem their firstborn um, with, the, with the redemption price for the poor. Um, God says, yes, the firstborn belong to me, but I want you to kill your firstborn. You can redeem them. You keep them. But the firstborn belongs to me. And on the cross, on the cross, God gives his only begotten son, his firstborn. So there's a connection to the Passover. There's a connection, it seems to me, um, to the plague narrative and to that whole exile or the whole Exodus narrative sin. And then to, to back up a little bit, before we get to the cross, the Passover meal itself. Now, I don't know how many, of, how many of your listeners are familiar with Passover, but Passover basically revolves around four cups. Mm-hmm. Um, the four cups are based upon Exodus 6, verses 6 to 8. There, um, uh, God says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from the, under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then you'll know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Based upon that text, um, for millennia, our, our ancestors in the faith um, structured what they called their around four. Um, and the, the first cup is the cup of love, sometimes called the cup of blessing or the cup of deliverance. Then, the, um, then the, there's a cup of praise based upon the words, I will free you. In our biblical narrative in the New Testament, that cup is thirteen. But then the third cup, that's called the cup of redemption. Now what's really interesting about the cup of redemption, that's the third cup. That's the cup of Passover. That's the cup that becomes the cup of the blood of my cup. Mm. That's the, um, and what happens just before the third cup in a Passover cater is that there's bitter herbs, and the bitter herbs remind us of our bondage of sin, bitterness of sin, bitter, bitterness of slavery. And, and that the bitter herbs are, are ingested by taking the unleavened bread, um, and that's, and that's, that's, bread without any yeast in it, in Hebrew, no chemet. And any bread you get with God doesn't have yeast. And in this, in this particular case, yeast is a metaphor for sin. So unleavened, unleavened bread um, is bread. Sometimes it's a, a flour, water, tortilla. Um, uh, sometimes unleavened bread, known as matzah, can be kind of cracker-like. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have yeast in it. It doesn't have yeast in it. And that unleavened bread is dipped to the bitter herb. And that's the bread that Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you. Now, in, in, our, in, the, in our Bible, Jesus doesn't have them, we don't hear him say, dip it in the bitter herb. But from context, we know, this is my body, which is for you. Okay, eat. And, and you know, if you know Passover, that that, bitter, that, that bread has bitter herbs on it. And then for your eating... The sin, but Jesus says, "This is my body, and it, it contains the sin. And I want you to eat it, but I'm going to endure it." Now, what's interesting in John's Gospel is that precisely the time Judas leaves the room, Judas leaves after eating the bread, and he doesn't drink the wine. He eats the bread, and then John says, "And it was night." And I think those are those words are just pregnant with meaning, and and what an amazing picture. Um, because here's Judas, having betrayed Jesus for money, now goes to do what he must do with the taste of sin in his mouth, and he goes into darkness, mm. and he leaves. And he leaves the light of the world. So we could just sit and, and just meditate on that. Um, but then uh, to go back to the supper after the after the matzah bread, which Jesus said, "This is my body." The bitter herbs that stand for the bitterness of slavery, bitterness of sin, and Jesus saying, that's my body. Then he takes the cup of redemption. That's called the cup of redemption. Basically, that's in its name from as long back, as far back as I can go. Um, and then Jesus says, this is my blood. Take, drink, remember, and believe. Now, at our church, sometimes we, from time to time, have done it in a little while, but we'll have our, um, 
one group just had it the other day at Seder with their church family, a small group in their church, in our church, and mm-hmm. a number of our people do that. Um, but but in, in instructing them uh, a number of years ago, I had some of the most bitterest horseradish <laughs> and, and some, and some uh, um, flower water taco shells and stuff like that soft. And then, um, and then I had them eat it. And then I had paper cups rather than just the little communion cups that a lot of us have in our church. I had paper cups with grape juice in it. But I had them eat it, and some people, there were tears coming in their eyes, not tears of sorrow, tears because it tasted so terrible. Yeah. And I waited. I waited because I wanted them to feel it. And I felt it, too. And yeah. then I drank. I drank the juice, and it, it, the sweet juice washed away all the bitterness. And Jesus said, this is my blood. It's a picture of the washing away, the washing away of sin. Mm. Um, and so, um, you know, the, the Passover, uh, uh, to re- release God's people from Egypt, uh, it's a picture. Uh, it's a picture upon which that last Passover night, um, that Passover night, it's a, it forms the canvas in which our Lord's Supper is, is based upon. And of course, I mean, um, I don't need to tell your audience that, you know, the connections between Jesus and the Lamb of God, um, those those are quite obvious, I think, to a lot of sure. folks. But from some contextual kind of things in Jesus' connection and, and kind of Egyptian background and a, from a Jewish perspective, um, I just, I mean, I, these are... These are pictures that I just delighted. I love sharing these pictures. So hopefully that's a help for you and your people. That is a help. You know, and, and like you said, we could we could go on about this for literally hours upon hours upon hours and still not get through yeah. the entire uh, story and all of the many pictures and everything that's happening uh, in this. But but what there's good news. There's always good news. Mm. But this is some good news. Mm-hmm. People can go with you to these places and listen to you talk for hours upon hours upon hours, but not in a way that you're like, is this pastor ever going to stop preaching? No, it's actually fun. And you're, you're learning, you're touching, you're feeling, you're experiencing, I guess would be the best way to put it, the lands of the Bible through your ministry. So tell us if you will, tell us a little bit about your ministry and what you do and how people can get involved. Yeah. Well, thank you for that opportunity. Well, Quite frankly, what um, let me just say um, there are lots of trips, obviously, to the lands of the Bible. Sure, a lot of them, a lot of Israel. There's another people say, why? Why would we go to Egypt? Why would we go to Jordan? Uh, I want to go to Israel, and that's a great. I want. I mean, that's that's great. I, I'm not against that. However, the way God gave the land to His people was they came out of Egypt, and they went a certain route, and when they got there, they had the eyes to see, the ears to hear, mm. and so the tours that I leave are uh, really the biblical study tools. And um, we we begin to ask questions like, why did they make a period? Why would they just a cube? Um, why not just a, a rolling stone? Why not, just a, why not just a couple of stones on top of each other? Why, why a pyramid? Then we ask other questions. Why did God bring these people to Goshen? Goshen? Is there, is, why do we need to know that? Why is that there? Then, then there's questions like, you know, how is it that God, how is it that Pharaoh adopts to the time he's drowning even baby boys? Mm. Why would he do such a thing? Um, we, we ask questions like that as we as we experience the land, and the trip is really very experiential. So we're going to try to give you um, experiential uh, uh, situations and, and, and things that we'll be doing. Um, now, the trip is also kind of rabbinic, and uh, a rabbi... Uh, I often ask people, what does rabbi mean? And they say, teacher. And though it's true that a rabbi teaches, um, the Greek word for teacher is didastos. So when you read the word teacher in the New Testament, it means the word didastos. And when you read the word rabbi, it's rabbi. And rabbi is the Hebrew word. Rab means honored, my, my honored one. Rabbi is my mm. honored one. And honor is something that is earth. And, um, and it's based upon trust. So um, on these trips, now, will we go through the pyramid? Of course, we're going through the pyramid. <laughs> um, but I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you the things that we do day day. I'll tell you how much water to bring. I'll tell you what clothes to bring. I'll, I'll tell you everything you need to know, not necessarily everything you want. Yeah. Um, and that trip is, has been, um, for some folks who are real strong A-type personalities, who say, I need to know, I need to know. It turns out, 
the reason why the church is structured this way is because I think life is structured this way. God doesn't tell us everything we want to know. He mm-hmm. tells us everything we need to know. And and what we need to know so that we follow him in trust. He wants to earn our trust. Because quite frankly, the most important sermon is not the one I preach on Sundays, it's the one we live during the week. Yeah. And and so learning to trust, learning to follow. And so on this trip, um, you're going to have a lot of experiences. We're going to look at, uh, we're, going to, we're going to consider things from an Egyptology standpoint. Uh, we're going to understand things from an archaeological, cultural standpoint. And then we're also going to look at how does it impact the biblical narrative. And why is that there? And why do I need to know that? And so this trip uh, takes us through Egypt. Um, and what's interesting is there's that passage in John where it says, um, live as Jesus lived, and other, other translations it says, walk as Jesus walked. Mm. And, and both are correct, because in Greek, the word for walk is peripatao, and in Greek, the word for live is peripatao, because the ancient your life is your walk, your walk is your life. So on this trip, we walk, and we hike. Um, we'll, be in the, we'll, we'll, we'll be in the Sinai Mountains, we'll be overnighting in the Sinai Mountains under the stars with the Bedouin as our, as our host. We'll be climbing mountains uh, in Jordan. We'll go to a high place, God willing, in Petra, uh, probably one of the most remarkable, best-preserved high places, shrine of Olak or Kamash, um, and um, the high places that God told his people to tear down. There. We'll go to a place like called uh, Jerash, which is probably one of the most remarkable, best-preserved decapolis cities, Greco-Roman cities, um, and then when we walk through Jerash, my, my, my people, I told my people, um, uh, we'll get a sense of what Jerusalem might have looked like, what some of the, what Caesarea Maritima in Israel might have looked like. And then we move into the Galilee, and we'll, we'll transition from, uh, from Joshua to Jesus. And um, we'll be on the Sea of Galilee, and we'll, and we'll spend a day or so in the Galilee, and we'll go down into Jerusalem, and we'll Bethlehem, perhaps, and we'll go to the Sathela, and... Um, the lowlands, uh, where the story of David and Goliath and Samson all took place, a tribal portion of Dan, and then the whole trip finishes up in, in Jerusalem. And it's one of several trips that we off. I mean, that, that, that's uh, if I, I tell people which one to go on first, they say, it's a once in a lifetime. Well, yeah. of course, what I would go on would be Egypt, Jordan, Israel. Um, but we also do Israel in depth study tours as well, and then also. Um, oh, and uh, Chris, I don't know if you followed it on Facebook, but our Heart of I God did. trip, we, Beautiful. we just finished. It was amazing. And this trip really is an expression of the minist- our, our ministry's heart. Um, it's a trip for people who will, otherwise would never have the opportunity to go to Israel. It's a trip designed for people with special needs, moderate to high function. Yeah. Um, and we had 12 wonderful, wonderful young adults on this trip. And uh, the Israeli uh, Ministry of Tourism, when they found out that we were coming, they sent a representative uh, and some so gifts neat. to our people. And I, I never had that at any other trip but that one. So we have other trips as well. But God willing, uh, you're going to be with me in June, God willing. And uh, yes, uh, we're going to go to Egypt, Jordan, and Israel. So. Yeah, and I, I got to say, you know, a, a few years back when I went with you the first time, I was looking for a trip. I wanted to, I'd always wanted to go to Israel all my life, but I also always wanted to go to Petra. To be honest, it was mostly because Indiana Jones was there and it looked really cool. Um, but so I was looking for a trip to the Middle East, but I didn't want to, and this, I don't mean for this to sound harsh, and I'm not criticizing anyone else, but a lot of people that go to the Middle East, it seems like, and go and visit Israel are older. And they're, and many trips are catered towards an older population that, you know, maybe will be riding on a bus more often and just getting off at different historic sites. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm fully supportive of people going and doing that sort of thing. But that wasn't what I was looking for. And so when I found your website and it was like, we're going to hike, we're going to touch, we're going to feel. And it was very immersive. I was like, this is what I want to go on. But I have to tell you, as someone who is a type A personality, I was very disturbed by the lack of information on the website. I was like, it's like a mystery. I don't know where we're actually going. I don't know if I can handle this. But within like two hours (laughs) of meeting you, I was like, oh, this is fine. We're going to do so many cool things. I don't even care where we're going because I know he's just going to take us somewhere really cool. And it's going to be fantastic. And really, I think... In a lot of ways, that almost makes the trip for someone who is my type of personality, because you don't 
you're not thinking about this is where I'm going next. This is what I'm going to do next. This is what I'm going to do after that. You can just live in that moment and not have to know this is what's coming. This is where I want to be. No, you can just enjoy where you're at in that moment. And I, I love it. I can't wait to go back. And I would, I mean, if you want to go and you want to hike and you want to get dirty and you really want to experience this thing, I, I couldn't recommend uh, George's ministry any more highly. So where can people find out information about uh, about Under the Fig Tree? Well, it's on our website, underthefigtree.org. Um, you go there, and um, the trips are all listed there. Um, and and frankly, as, as God is steering and directing my life, um, I'm having uh, my time at Hall and I Church is uh, drawing to a close. Been mm-hmm. here for almost thirty years and, and serving. Used to be senior pastor, but now a teaching pastor. Um, within the next year or so, we'll be um, offering up more tours. Um, so uh, go to the website, and uh, there's a contact us button as well. So don't be afraid to touch that and ask your question. And yeah. I'd be happy. I, my, myself or one of my. Uh, support people would be more than happy to answer your, your questions. But under the org, And if I can just another shout out for yeah. our Heart of God trip, because we have our next Heart of God trip is next April. It's a year away from now. And um, you know, we had people from California on this one. We had people from Washington State. We had people from Winnipeg. We have a number from Ontario, uh, mm-hmm. some from Indiana and some from West Michigan. Um, and uh, it it it, it is, it is, uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, it, 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 the whole trip is, is oriented um, towards uh, the folks with special needs. So if you have crystal people in your church that are moderate and high sure. um, uh what I have found, what I have found is that people often say no before God. Mm. So give God something to bless. And at least you have not because you asked not. That's in the Bible. And yeah. I, I, I just think that um, uh, just to encourage your people, uh, if they know of someone or they want to stand with someone and, and help make that a possibility, um, you know, under the big tree is, is, is a ministry. So we're a 501c3. Mm-hmm. So you can help um, if you like. Um, but, yeah, the web is the place to go. So thank you for that, Crystal. Sure thing. All right, so it's underthefigtree.org. Thanks to Pastor George DeYoung for joining us today. Always a privilege to have you here with us. And, uh, you know, I regret to have to inform you, however, that you will not be winning the Stanley Cup. But otherwise, we do love and appreciate you and your ministry. Uh, thank you. It's your program. I'll let you have the last word. All right. <laughs> we'll be back in just a few minutes. Keep listening. This is KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed our talk today with Pastor George DeYoung about Passover, which we'll be celebrating uh, all around the world tomorrow as uh, we remember the true meaning of Passover and how Jesus became our Passover lamb. And we hope that you will join us on Sunday because Passover is just the beginning of the story. It didn't end there. Come Sunday morning, 8 o'clock, 9.30 or 11.15, join us at Liberty, 6501 West Lakeby Boulevard as we celebrate the rest of the story. Have a great day, everyone.